Welcome to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Welcome back to a fork in time the alternate history podcast don sitting in the host chair today joined by chris capola and robert koshu uh chris there are good people out there i think somebody needs to say hi to them hi good people and robert i love uh this is an audio <laughs> medium but i love what i see behind you there i see the uh the i see the fertita i see the fertita center and and, and i see uh where the number two maybe number one by now university of houston cougars uh play behind us there and we're both we're both university of houston graduates so robert welcome back you, you missed us for a while because you've been traveling for work so it's good to have you been, back on an episode been work traveling but it's good to be back and yes number one as of tomorrow is my is my guess that's my prediction too all right guys what we're going to talk about today is a little maybe a departure it's not even a topic we've really covered before I'll give you a little gen- genesis behind this of all the folks that are part of the podcast team obviously other than Alexis that's that's a different relationship for me but uh Robert is the other member of the team that I've known the longest Robert and I went to high school together and then, of course, we both attended the same university here, which I was describing. But Robert and I knew of each other, I guess. But our first time to spend some time together was when Robert was a senior and I was a freshman in high school. We were both involved in a Model United Nations program here in the Houston area. And our first experience together was our school that year represented Argentina. And Robert and I had the joy of representing the mock case before that Model UN's International Court of Justice uh, as the litigants for the Argentina delegation. And the case was the case over the Falkland Islands. Now, I tend to not call them the Falklands, Robert. I call them something else. <laughs> I don't I call them Malvinas. <laughs> I call them Malvinas because that's what the Argentines did, and we were Argentina. So that was one of our that was one of our sticking points. But so Robert actually suggested this episode because of that that common background that we had. But I think I think it's an interesting thing for us to explore here. And so our historical what if today is going to be what would have happened if there had not been a victory by the United Kingdom in the 1982 Falklands War. Now, we were talking off podcast doing our prep work here, and we came to the conclusion there are a couple of different ways to make this fork viable. One of the things we always try to do as much as possible is is how to have viable forks. And so, Chris, I'm going to ask you to hold me honest here. We basically came up with, I think, three or four different potential ways to fork history here. Um, they fall in the category of various forms of delays. Two of them are delays, delays potentially by the Argentine forces, delays by the United Kingdom. And then the others are actually in a different military outcome. And am I missing any of the others that we talked about there, Chris? No. And, and so, no, I, I think those are the, the two delays and the Belgrano. We'll get to the Belgrano. I think that's it. Okay. The first, my first blush on this when Robert suggested it is what I remember. And I was all of whatever I was. I was all of 14 at the time. Uh, but, you know, again, but astute enough to know something was going on and CNN was around then. So you could watch wars sort of unfold in real time, which was sort of a new thing that, that could easily happen. 
And my first thing when Robert, when you suggested this, that popped into my head was, well, there really was no way Argentina was actually going to win here, right? I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's, it, it's a long shot at best for the Argentine military to think that they're going to do this, but we'll come back around to that, to Chris's point about the Belgrano. Um, that's why I think we may focus a little bit more on the two delay concepts, because that probably are the two more viable options. But as we always do, let's talk a little bit about the what if. So there's these islands off the Argentinian coast, and they are way, 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 way in the southern Atlantic. You 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 say they're off the Argentine coast primarily because that's the nearest landmass. Yeah, yeah, they are. That, um, that's like saying Bermuda is off the North Carolina coast almost. Yeah, it's a ways. It's a ways. And these are two relatively small islands. There's also some other islands that are out there near them. That have been under, and I know this because of, again, that experience that Robert and I shared, uh, they have been under British control uh, for a very long period of time, back to the early part of the 19th century, uh, when they were basically seized as part of some whaling operations and some other things that were going on. Uh, the Americans, by the way, actually had a little bit of a, of a play in that in terms of an American naval action that sort of displaced the, the the Argentine troops that were there. But these islands way, 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 as you point out, Chris, off the Argentine coast and certainly way, 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 way far away uh, from the British Isles are controlled by the United Kingdom. And what I remember there, the primary things, I guess there is a little bit of mining activity that goes on on the islands. But mostly, Robert, correct me if I'm wrong, it's mostly sheep, right? It is, especially at that point. It is 100% sheep herding. Yeah. You know, in, it, in it's, fact, the go sheep, ahead, Chris. The sheep significantly outnumber the people. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's in the far South Atlantic. I said the very. It, it's very cold. I mean, I, what I remember is, you know, the, these are areas where you have, you know, penguins, you know, are on some of the southern parts of this island for part of part of the year. So, is it a fair thing to say these islands are of minimal economic value and minimal, maybe a little bit more, but not a lot strategic significance? I mean, these are almost. If they didn't exist, nobody would go. Man, it'd be great if we had some islands there. Could we sure could use them, right? Yeah, the only thing is, it, so now in more, I'm going to say, modern recent times, there's actually, so A, tourism has become big because, you know, it's adventure tourism. You want to go to Antarctica. What's the closest thing that's, quote unquote, stable and big? And there is the Falklands. So you can drop off there before you go to Antarctica. And now there's also lots of discussion around oil being in that area. But at that point, that didn't exist. So it was truly, it's sheep. And this is one of those, a lot of historians call this the last gasp of the British Empire. Because yeah. they're they're grasping at, this is our empire and we're going to keep it. <laughs> it, it, it. It is one of the few remaining far-flung British possessions from the age of empire. I mean, I, I would say one of the main reasons they even occupied it was just in case they needed to exile another French dictator. <laughs> and, and you and you and you've already used up, you know, some some of your, your primary sources in the past century. Fair enough. Fair enough, Chris. So 
the backdrop is this is where the islands are. Now, Argentina has asserted at various points over that period of time because of the, the proximity of the islands relative to the United Kingdom that they should be considered you know, they are, they are adjacent to or maybe in territorial, Argentine territorial waters, how you wanted to find that. And these islands should be part of Argentina, even though they've been occupied for well over 100 years. They do bring cases occasionally, the international tribute uh, tribunes, that there's negotiations around these things. But it's not like the United Kingdom had recently seized the islands and recently possessed them. They've had them for over a century. At various times, there's been discussions and or disputes over that ownership but what has changed in argentina in the middle part of the 70s is a military junta takes control of the country and the economy is bad globally their internal political situation is not necessarily good and in the real timeline in 1982 almost as a last dish effort towards nationalism and doing something i think i described it off off podcast, and you guys can correct me if you think differently, almost a wag the dog kind of scenario is, well, let's go over there. We have a chance to you know, seize these islands. They're basically guarded by, what, a, a, an icebreaker for all intents and purposes, Robert, we were talking about. It's yeah. not even a real you military think, ship. Yeah, HMS Endurance, which was an ice patrol ship. The Royal Marine Garrison had 55 Royal Marines on the island. <laughs> and then there was the Homeland Defense Force of 23 Falkland Islanders. Yeah, so so a, a cast of less than a hundred and a boat is is what's holding yeah. this territory for the United Kingdom, and so we won't go into the details of what happens there, but they seize control of the islands in eighty two. So, Chris, what's the in the real timeline? Uh, probably spent more time here than we should, but it'll set up the other stuff. Well, what is the UK's response in the real timeline? In the real timeline, it is to do something we've talked about. L- a little bit, it reminds me a little bit of American responses to wars where they gather their troops together. Again, they don't have anything there, but in 1982-83, the United Kingdom did have more than 100 soldiers elsewhere. Um, So this is a period of them gathering together all of their troops, creating a giant flotilla, sending the flotilla down, I do feel like there were regular check-ins on CNN. I I can almost close my eyes and imagine a graphic showing there every were. step down. I, I remember the way it <laughs> where they are, and it's like almost a freight train. You can see going towards the Malvinas, going towards the Falklands, and if there isn't a solution by the time it gets there, that is going to hit things. Right. I, I remember I remember there being even a new Newsweek article that basically said that this was the story and headline of the time. I remember this was this was a callback to the old days of war because it was the whole, you know, it wasn't the push button warfare. This was mm-hmm. we're coming. It's going to take us a while. But we're coming. <laughs> I, I mean, it's almost like what happened in the Boer War. 80 years before this, where the troops that are, happen to be there get beaten pretty badly, and you can track and see communication technology being what it was and, and was in, in 1980, you can track and see the British forces assembling and responding to this over time. Yeah. The, the concept that I have in my, hair is, in my head is, 
hopefully no concept in my hair, but hopefully the concept that's in my head is it's almost like this, uh, you spilled syrup or molasses on the table. It, it's moving across the table very, 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 very slowly. And of course, what does happen in the real timeline is they do arrive. We'll talk a little bit about some of the military action itself, because that's part of where the fork might be. Uh, but the result of that is it's it's a resounding victory for for the United Kingdom. Uh, Margaret Thatcher goes to election the following year in the general elections, and this is one of the things also with the turn in the economy beginning to take place that cements Thatcher in into a into an extended period of time as the prime minister. Uh, the Thatcherism, conservative, the 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 the, the Tories, the the, concert, the party holds on. Uh, you know, for a considerable period of time. And this is the, you know, one of the factors often cited in her, in the reelection in 83 is the, the nationalism and the resurgence of, you know, sort of UK's um, national identity as a result of this war. And she rides that in as, you know, having been the prime minister that dealt with the crisis and, you know, and kept, and kept them on the straight and narrow. And, and there was one additional, the, 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 Interest in CNN beyond this was a fun little war and CNN was really new at this point is there was a certain family member on board the HMS Invincible, one of the aircraft carriers who who was flying helicopters and the British government said, we don't want him there. And the Queen said, no, he gets to stay. Prince Andrew was a helicopter pilot on one of the ships. And yeah, I do have this recollection of just, you know, the coverage there because it was sort of a unique thing. And, and again, like I say, the, the slow aspect of this and uh, uh, sadly, Eric Rush is not here for us to kill off a royal or kill off a president. So we're not, so we're not going to do it because, you know, that, that's what he does. That's, that's his role on the team is helping us either save, save those folks or kill them off, whatever's appropriate or necessary. But you're right. There was additional interest. I remember there was a pop song, like six weeks in a leaky boat or something like that. Where one, it was like a, a take on this. I mean, this, this was there. So we covered a lot of the historical did because it'll, it'll help set up the historical. What if, um, it was a minor military action, but it had bigger impact than the than the military action itself. Because what does happen is again, Thatcher's reelected. What happens in Argentina? This is the death blow for the coup. Things go back in the other direction. So it resets the politic. It solidifies the politics of the UK. It resets the politics of Argentina as a result of this. So it's a fairly minor minor conflict in a military sense, but it has. Over a small set of islands, again, you know, more sheep than anything else, but it has a bigger impact than that because of the timing of where it's at. So probably the easiest fork to take here, and Chris, I'm going to let you take a little bit of the lead on this, is we talked about the idea of if the junta felt like they could hold on a little bit longer before they needed to do this. So those that are in power in Argentina, what might they have waited out if they'd have just been a little bit more patient? So. The British government publishes their defense reviews, and they were slated to mothball and I believe even scrap their carrier that Prince Andrew was serving on. Um, so this was public knowledge. This was nothing secret. This was, you know, anybody could with an economist subscription could know this. And if 
the Argentine government holds on until that happens, just a little, you know, literally, I believe it might be a calendar year later. Um, the British now have no aircraft carriers, have no way of having any kind of aircraft supporting them. And the critical thing about that is the Argentines do. And the Argentines have bought, and, and this, is, this is the weapon system that you hear about in relation to this war, which is the Exocet missile. The Argentines had jets that were able to deploy ship killer missiles. And this was the British knew about this. This was their major fear and their biggest worry during the conflict was keeping air superiority in the area so that the Argentines cannot get close enough to attack this flotilla of theirs with these missiles. If you do not have aircraft carriers, you can't do that. You don't have any way to protect yourself from these. And it becomes a lot more dangerous and maybe even prohibitively dangerous to um, sail into the waters around the Malvinas with this threat out there. With, with, with Marines, you're going to need boots on the ground to be able to take the islands if, if you do it without the air cover provided by the carrier. And again, I mentioned the remoteness. These are remote. If you don't know where they are, I'll include a link in that. These are remote. The only way you're going it, to – it's the classic use of an aircraft carrier uh, to extend uh, the military might of a nation. Again, with, with, as you point out, Chris, without carriers there, there is no effective uh, Royal Air Force presence that, that can deal with this. You're going to have to rely upon allies or you're just not going to have it. Not not to get into service. There was no Royal Air Force capacity there. It was Royal Naval. It was the Royal Navy. Right. But I'm saying the world the Royal Air Force has nowhere to fly from right. to be able to be able to exert their right. influence. So they, it, they had no planes or helicopters on the island at that point anyway. So it right. was <laughs> so under that scenario, they wait. So Essentially, it's not that Britain doesn't have a navy. They just don't have the type of navy that you need to project force and to effectively operate in this in a, as a military theater. So I'm just going to throw out to both of you, Robert. I'll, I'll let you answer first, since Chris gave us that excellent summary there. If your if your islands have been taken way across the sea and you don't have the naval resources to go and take them back, what are your choices? You have two. Phone a friend or give it up. And and that's really the two. It's phone a friend or give it up. And there, there's only one friend that the UK would ever call in that scenario. And that's the United States. And this is, Reagan and Thatcher had started to get to know each other, but they had not really, they weren't the force de jure they became at the end of the day for this. And so... Does the U.S. pick it up or not? You know, or you just you look at it and go, it's islands. They're sheep. We don't care anymore. <laughs> you know, and so at that point, you back off, let Argentina have it. Any different thoughts on that, Chris? Um, Not particularly. The one, I, I think there may be a protracted negotiation. The one, just just to put this out there. The United States did allow 
British bombers to operate from some of our bases in the Azores. Those were long-range aircraft that had the range. The fighters couldn't do it, but we did allow bombers to use some of our NATO bases in the A- in the Azores, which are off the coast of Africa. Um, so the United States somewhat, uh, you know, they are a NATO ally. We did allow, that's our excuse there. Uh, we're about to talk about the Colonel Belgrano. I think that's that's another ship we discussed. Um, funny story about the Belgrano. It survived Pearl Harbor. Yeah. It was an American <laughs> carrier that we sold to Argentina. So this isn't – Argentina's not a hostile regime. It's not even a neutral regime. It's a friendly regime to the United States at this point. We are supporting this junta because we're afraid of what would what the alternative is. So the United States – is kind of backing both sides. This or, is the or has the, a friendly relationship with both sides. The 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 the, the Argentine junta fell into the the in the enemy of my enemy is my friend category. They weren't communist, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And again, this is you know this is the Cold War is alive and well, and all the things that are going on there. It's also you know the question of you know you start to getting getting into concepts like from the American foreign policy perspective, the Monroe Doctrine. You know, so mm-hmm. what, what are you doing here? This, this is the Americas, right? You know, we, we like to roll that out when it was the missile crisis for Cuba and other places. Uh, you know, this is the period of time when the Sandinistas are, and the stuff that's going on in Nicaragua is happening. You know, so you had this question of, you know, can you, is there consistency in, you know, obviously backing your ally with a special relationship, your NATO ally, the UK, but, you know, at the expense of the Argentines, to the point, Robert, we were talking about off, off podcast, that in the real timeline, there was some shuttle diplomacy by U.S. Secretary of, Secretary of State Alexander Haig, you know, trying to go back and forth because the point being, you know, we're friendly to both of you. So we, you know, we don't want this to happen. We don't, anybody sh- we don't want anybody to shoot anybody, you know, and, and God forbid something happened to the sheep, right? I mean, there's a problem here. So if... If we get into that situation, I'll just ask, I'll ask both of you, I'll start with you, Chris. Does the United States intervene in a bigger way or do they, is it is exclusively, no, we're going to figure this out some other way without shooting? I think the United States probably, what I could honestly see is the United States getting involved on a diplomatic basis, holding a summit between the two of them. And I feel like we would kind of put our we would kind of put our thumb on the scale of Great Britain and negotiate a return in exchange for the kind of security assistance that's going, you know. The the Argentine junta started this to deal with internal opponents. And if there's one thing you, you know, you, you understand from Reagan's Latin America policy is we're okay turning our blind eye to a lot. So I think what you would see is the United, you know, this can be a win-win. Britain can regain them diplomatically. The United States can make, you know, can communicate to the junta, can provide additional support. It would get very bloody. It would get very dark, but Reagan would be 100% fine with it to provide the additional security apparatus so that the junta can maintain what they want out of this. 
So let's say we get that negotiated outcome versus a U.S. assisted military outcome. I think a U.S. assisted military outcome, from my perspective, and you guys, if you guys disagree, let me know. Basically, ends up being the same outcome that we had in the real time. Like just we just get to that a different way in the process. But so let's say we end up with this negotiated outcome. Is that an impactful thing in any major way? I think it might be in British politics because you don't have Thatcher standing up and being a wartime leader the way she was. Um, so she doesn't become the Iron Lady. Right. Right. That's really what this means at the end of the day. If if she doesn't, if she doesn't, if they capitulate completely at the beginning, for whatever reason, Thatcher's not the Iron Lady. She may be able to use this as a, hey, listen, people, this <laughs> we stuff need, is serious. We, we need, need a need Navy. Rebuild. We need <laughs> a Navy. Right. Right. This is why having a navy. But by the way, a nation that has prided itself for 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 centuries on its on on its name. This is why we need a navy. Mm-hmm. You know that that would be the response. I could easily see that too. Does she now in the real timeline? The elections are in eighty three, and she wins pretty handily, all things considered, because of economy turning around in this back here. If she, is it just a blow to her not becoming what what we know her from the real timeline, or is there the real risk that she loses loses? I think there's a chance she might not win. And 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 there's something we didn't talk about off podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. The Brighton Hotel bombing happens around this time. Basically, it's a attempt by the provisional IRA to assassinate her. If you've got that, plus the loss of the Malavinas Falklands, she is out there trying to say, hey, listen, this is why we need a Navy. But you've got a lot of people in Britain. I mean, you know, fair statement. I was not alive for this war, but I was alive when Thatcher died. And I heard a lot and I remember a lot of reports from Wales and the north of England, people celebrating her death. Well, well, the question is, our timeline, do they look at it and go, do do they does she end up having to have a coalition government more because yeah okay we whatever with the islands but man look at what's going on with Northern Ireland we need to deal with that or and, or a listen this this new strident militarism is not working it it just you know listen we can't defend these far flung areas we have bombings in the homeland you are failing as a prime minister to provide security for British subjects. That's the most basic job of the government. Right. Well, and the other thing, I mentioned the economic backdrop here. It's, it's been a theme running through this. You know, the, the, op- the labor in the 83 elections in the UK, you know, puts out one of its most um, – 
liberal approaches to, I mean, this, this is what the battle also comes down on the economic side, the idea of, you know, Thatcher's thoughts on, on the economy and all, and labor's thoughts on the economy. She prevails and what goes from that, but you have what's going on inside the labor unions and other things like, that. I mean, there are a lot of people that are going to the polls where, you know, the classic American thing, which is probably true. It's the economy, stupid. And if you don't have something to balance that off, that also probably gives a little bit more, you know, tips the scale a little bit more in labor's direction in a way that there's nothing to sort of counter that because there's the other problems that haven't been solved. Either security problems, a prestige problem, you know, internationally and everything that goes with that. So I, I would even question whether labor goes as left wing as they do. I think labor realizes they have a much better shot hues to the center because they don't have to be, they don't have to run on an extreme platform. You know, if, if, if Thatcher's wounded, they could just walk over the line here. Yeah. Um, she's doing enough damage to herself. We'll just let her, we'll just let her keep yeah. doing it. Our job is to stay out of the way and, and let it take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any more thoughts on the, so we, we see a possibility there that, Argentina can prevail in a different way, probably with a negotiated diplomatic settlement that probably doesn't mean they possess the islands, but they get something out of it that's of value, which is what the islands were about, right? They get what they wanted. Uh, from, yeah. from what I understand, they could have cared less about the actual Malvinas. Right. What they cared about was sustaining their regime, and with a brokered deal, they get that. So that's one way that, quote unquote, the UK loses and Argentina wins, if you want to simplify the outcome there to change what's there. Any more thoughts on that, Robert, before we pop over to No, I think that's, I think that, yeah, that, and, and like, I, I like how you put it. It, this is not necessarily an Argentinian victory. It's a, we got what we wanted at the end of the day versus a victory. Because again, I, I think you know the military concept of this is almost inconsequential to the the other picture, just because of what we've already said. So the, I mentioned there was another delay option. The other delay option, I think, it was being the UK delay option, which is they still invade the islands in '82, they still seize them, but there was already opposition in the UK to even responding to this. You know, do we really want to send? Do we want to send our boys? Do we want to send our prince? You know, off to go and do this kind of thing. And the Queen Elizabeth cruise ship. They actually, I remember that being a deal. They actually pulled it in and retrofitted it as a troop transport. Right. <laughs> again, again, sort of saying where the empire is gone, right? Or in terms of where, yeah. <laughs> where the state of things is. Uh, need to go fight a war way in the, in the, in the South Atlantic? Uh, we got a luxury liner over here. We're going to borrow to get you there. Not that that hasn't happened in other scenarios as well. So what I would call the UK delay scenario is this idea of there's not an immediate mobilization by the Navy that still does exist at that point. They still have the resources to do it. And so they take more of a, I don't know how else to describe it, a slow burn or slow response approach to this in some way that also changes the outcome. Does that make any sense? I don't think so. I, okay. I think just Thatcher just is constitutionally from a political version of the word constitutionally powerful enough and from the psychological personality 
use of the constitutional word incapable of right. not responding to this. Um, she's going to, and sh- it is her decision. She is the commander in chief of the, I mean, maybe not in, in actual form, but it is her decision. She's going to do this. Is there any risk? I don't think so, but I want to throw it out there to make sure. I'm not, is there any risk that the decision to do that could have caused a backlash, vote of no confidence? In other words, there's there's a force of change in government as a result of her decision to do this against the reasons why it may not make sense to do so. I don't think anybody resigns yeah. from her government. I mean, you might have one or two backbenchers, but not really. Okay. So the idea of a delayed response by the UK, we said we would exploit, probably is not the viable branch at all. The, what, what, once, once the invasion happens in 82, the die is cast that there has to be a response. And, and again, unlike the first scenario that we discussed, they actually have the material and the capability to do the response, even though it's you know the, the slow molasses war kind of thing here uh, to do that. So probably not a viable option. Robert? So I have a I have a kind of a option that I just want to throw out. So Hague's shuttle diplomacy becomes quote unquote successful. Do they then pause everything at the Azores for a little bit? What do you mean successful? Like Hague gets them to actually come together and talk versus Hague's Hague's shoulder diplomacy was, hey, you got to leave. You got to do this. Hey, you guys want to not fight and talk. Okay, I give up. We're back to UK. That was kind of Hague's shuttle diplomacy at the time. (laughs) If I think if there's actual signs of withdrawal, if the Argentines in some way commit to something, commit to some kind of withdrawal, maybe, but agreeing to talks about talks, maybe they stop outside of the exclusion zone they establish, but I don't think they stop at the Azores. Okay. So, so there's there's almost no way it delays that. That to me would be the only other thing that would have called a delay would have been, I mean, Hag becoming successful. But you know, again, what what I laid out, um, was on the table. I think, and I'm going to defer to people that were actually around when this happened. Um, from the very beginning, people understood why the. Argentine junta is doing this. It like this was not a question mark. People knew, oh, they're in trouble. They're doing this to maintain domestic popularity. So, with that being said, I mean, Al Haig and I believe George Schultz were smart enough to realize this. And the deal I outlined is there. So, I think if maybe if that's presented to them, and the Argentines agree in principle to this, they could buy a little bit of time to negotiate, to work out the specific details, and maybe, again, delay at the exclusion zone, but not an actual... Talks are not going to stop anything. 
they so, were going in no matter what. <laughs> again, if they get down there and there's legit progress, maybe. But there needs to be a framework agreement and there needs to be talks and progress towards the British regaining sovereignty over these islands. So under that scenario, Chris, what we'll call the nego- the the 82 but still a negotiated outcome scenario. Uh, so it's not the delay by by Argent by the Argentine government. Um, the the negotiated settlement happens because there's uh, there's a little bit of a carrot, but we got a stick. We still have a stick to, and we'll come and apply the stick if we need to. Kind of kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Under that scenario, is that is that the same level of quote unquote win for Thatcher to help her in the eighty three election, or is that a diminished? Yes, it, it's it's showing some foreign policy chops and you know taking care of some stuff. But is it quite as fanfarish as the mili- the quote unquote military victory was in in eighty two? It's not as fanfarish, but I think it works well enough. So she it, still it, gets she still gets the bump off of that a different kind of bump, but still gets the bump off. Not of as high a bump, but still a bump. Okay, Robert, thoughts on that? Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna. Now, there is a scenario, initially I thought it was remote, but I forgot about the magic word called exoset until I was thinking a little bit more about this. That was a real legitimate threat, right? I mean, Chris, we're talking about a we're talking about a weapon that was not, you know, a, a 30, 40 year old obsolete weapon that somebody was bringing here. They had purchased modern military hardware. They had the means of delivering it, and it was specifically designed for um ship for 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 ship for attack on ships and mm-hmm. this is a period of time before we have the technology that we think of that we have today in terms of anti-missile technology deployed you know in aegis systems and those types of things they are they are not at the level at all of what they are now this was a real legitimate threat one missile can do some serious stuff i i, I think this is kind of the period this and some of Really, this is one of the things that leads to ages. Mm -hmm. That and trying to defend against similar Soviet capabilities. Basically, Exocet is a ship is is designed to kill big ships, and it's almost unique and interesting that a Western country even developed this because this is the kind of stuff that we don't need. We've you know. This was French. It was developed by the French, sold to Argentina. But the United States, Great Britain have the navies, and we do not need weapon systems designed to kill navies because we have those navies. Our primary opponent is the Soviet Union that focuses on submarines. So we we don't really have a whole lot of very highly developed anti-surface missiles the french for whatever reasons decided they wanted to have something like this and that's that's where exocet comes from right so so my question that relates around that again remembering back now more this is coming back to me little by little but remembering that now so i'm gonna pose what actually did happen during the war is one of the major advantages for the uk was their their submarine capabilities relative to the Argentine Navy. And in fact, 
the General Belgrano, the vessel that we've talked about here. There's sort of the flag. The flag. It's the big thing in the Argent in the Argentine Navy is actually sunk. If I remember correctly, it's actually sunk by a submarine attack. Correct? Am I remembering that right? That is one hundred percent correct. They were. It got picked up. It was being shadowed. They figured that it and another task force of British of Argentine Navy apologies was kind of moving what's in the classic pincher move to kind of squeeze the uh, British fleet along with some air attacks occurring simultaneously. And the sub picks it up. They radio back. They wake Thatcher up basically and say, what do we do? And Thatcher gives the quick order, sink it. And they're like, well, it's outside the exclusion zone. Don't care. Yeah. And, and just so we're, aggressively sinking. And just so we're clear, the nature of the exoset is it it can be launched from a variety of platforms. It can be an air to ship. It can be a a ship to ship. It could even be theoretically, if you're close enough, I guess a ground to ship in the sense of something that would be fired yeah. from the coast. But you don't it 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 can be delivered in a cup in a number of different ways. And Argentina had multiple ways of being able to deliver that as as the launch platform. So, I'm gonna the hypothetical I'm gonna throw out here is let's say there's troops on that on 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 the, on the QE2 right, the mm-hmm. troops that are the ground troops yeah. that are going to be there. So let me just throw out this hypothetical about you know one of the ways this could have changed. So let's say that what you have is an exoset strike not against a uh, um, a carrier, a British carrier. But you actually have an exoset hit, because this is the one that would really create some issues to deal with and how it could possibly escalate. Let's say an exoset hits the QE2, and I don't know how many Marines were on that, but thousands, I'm sure, were there. And so there's a substantial loss of life when that whole event happens. Uh, That's going to be a different history. I know we just forked history right there in a major way. Uh, What does that end up producing? Well, my question is, and I guess this is, when, when I put the fork out, part of, part of my idea was that it would that it would that one of these missile strikes causes enough consternation, panic, whatever you want to call it in England that forget it. This is this is two hundred Falkland Islanders and six hundred sheep. You know, we just forget it. We're done. And I, th- I think you may have hit upon the one thing that potentially may may have done it is is if it hits that particular ship or or the carrier. Obviously, that that would have yeah. an equal effect there. It's one thing if you demonstrate the capability, and I think Robert, that is that point of saying, you know, do we really is this really worth the investment we're about to have to make to do that? My response to that is they're going to say yes because it doesn't matter what's on that soil or how much of that soil that is that is that is territorial soil and we have no choice but to it's it's been attacked it's been taken we have no choice but to reclaim it just it, it's a matter of principle even if it's not a practical thing to do it the practical part is overridden by the principle very quickly uh, so I, I I find it doubtful. Maybe there might be a, a, a you know something where they go, oh, okay, we're going to have to do this in a different way. Maybe this pushes the negotiated part a little bit more. Do we really want to get down there with the, the consequences of this? But I guess you know, 
we talked about this laying out, you know, what would happen if Argentina had won? What would have happened if this had turned into a much hotter war, I guess is my point. And the one way I see that happening is this weapon had the capability of doing things it never had a chance to do in the war before it was all said and done. I don't think first, I don't think the sinking of the QE do, QE2 necessarily does anything about the eventual outcome of this. Right. Historically, in our timeline, once the invasion force went in, they were attacked by Argentine air forces. Correct. And there were landing ships that got sunk. A significant part of the helicopters that were supposed to transport the British troops once they landed were lost because one of these ships went down. And they, yeah. they actually lost one of their destroyers to a to an Exocet, actually. Correct. There was a destroyer lost to an Exocet, but I mean, not not to not to diminish that. What actually hurt them was the loss of that landing ship in um I forget I forget the name of the bay that it was in. Was that the Sheffield? I think the Sheffield was the destroyer. Yeah, I believe that's correct. Um, but if you are Thatcher. You sent these troops down there into harm's way, and you you have a very hard time justifying that decision if you turn tail when the QE2 is hit. Assuming, of course, by the way, that the QE2 actually, you know, is the primary, is, is as important as it seems. And I don't think there were other ships. The QE2 was the marquee ship doing this, but there were other supply ships that were more important. I would argue at least. Yeah. I I think they'd have done more if they'd taken out one of the carriers. If they'd lost a carrier, that could have Mm -hmm. potentially shut down the. Because once you lose the carrier, you have no way of stopping every single ship in the fleet from having this happen to them. The yeah. the only thing stopping it is the Argentine supply of access sets. Which is finite. Yeah, which they, is it, finite. It was limited. Which which is finite, but once you lose that power projection capacity, man, they can get in pretty close. And and by the way, the uh ship I'm mentioning I I I I see Don moving now, trying to correct me and and find out what I'm actually talking about. But the ship that was lost, the landing ship, was not hit by an Exocet. It was hit by a good old fashioned 500 pound iron dumb bomb during the landing operation, which Argentina did not. Okay, okay, yes, they had a finite supply of those. It was a lot less finite than their supply of Exocets. Right. So and, and, once once you can once your air forces can get to the fleet much more easily, then you start dropping those five hundred pounders, and you could you know you don't need exosets. Right. Yeah. It, it was, it, it's interesting because I'm just looking here at what the mix of uh, one of the Argentine strike force. Mm-hmm. It's A four Skyhawks, a U.S. plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Mirage threes, so, so a French plane. Mm-hmm. They actually have some English Canberras. I mean, it, you know, this is your this is your mix and this is your mix and mash 
mishmash, you know, second world kind of, you know, military. You know, Argentina's not the third world, but they're not an elite military power by any stretch of the imagination. But they do have modern, they have modern capabilities. And uh, uh, the Invincible was the carrier, of course. And and the other thing to remember here is this was the first war where Harriers were really put to the test. The Sea Harrier really, you know, as a concept have been exercised. But this is the first time. This is how this is how this form of of, of, of jet avionics at sea is going to be projected forward is this you know vertical takeoff and landing thing called a sea harrier that's doing it here and i remember that being the thing there too sort of what's there and back to your point robert i was just looking here at some of the stuff uh, this is this is you know only a couple of years removed from the second star wars installment so the newsweek article has a picture of a carrier on it and the empire strikes back you know because yes. that was there <laughs> You know what was there, and again, that the reason I mentioned that is that idea of how this played out for Thatcher and others. This was restoring some sense of the feeling for for written the United Kingdom. You know, we call all kinds of different things here. If Alexis was on the podcast, she'd be correcting us left and right about that. But uh, uh, yeah, the Empire. This was restoring some of what it meant to be. You know, this was this was a, a, an echo of the previous glory days of you know when when England did rule the seas and you know ha- and could project force globally, you know, even to the far you know far tips of, of the southern Atlantic if that's what it took. This was Grenada for the British Empire. I, I think that's a relatively in terms of the, the level of the level of you, what you the go con- and beat up on somebody and you feel good about it. Yeah, a very much weaker neighbor. Yeah, trickier than Grenada was because of the distance involved yeah. in projecting the force there. Oh, definitely. And I think so. there's a little more parity here than there is with the U.S. and Grenada. Oh, 100 percent. 100 percent. But it, 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 it's that America feeling good. We won. We, can, we took them out. We did what we needed to do. Blah, blah, blah. This is England's version of that. Yeah. You know, or we're, we're other- very sh- Closely removed from the miracle on ice as well. That was also another. The other thing I was going to put out when we were talking about potential U.S. involvement is the U.S. This is before Grenada. The U.S. would have been very, very, very gun shy because the last thing we did was lose a bunch of Marines in Lebanon and lose a bunch of helicopters in the Iranian desert. Oh, desert one. Lebanon hadn't happened yeah. yet, but okay. desert okay. one had. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and there was, you know, then you know, and and this is still, you know, it, it's easy to forget this for me when I look back. I'm thinking, this is less than a decade removed from, you know, the the final U.S. withdrawal from Vietnam. Uh, you know, part of what also is, do we really want to be involved in? You know, anything that is that we don't need to be involved in the isolationist element that's there. Yes, we want to contain, you know, the 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 Cold War. We want to contain the spread of communism. But this is really not that. It's something different, you know, in, in the in the, in, in the direct sense, in the general sense. Yes, it is part of the Cold War dynamic that's going on. We have good relations with both sides. Intervening right. is a good way to change that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, mean, I could also imagine a scenario, you know, one of the things that was passed, that, you know, there was a UN resolution that was tried to put, you know, another way this could have gone down without, you know, sort of American shuttle diplomacy. America was, we've already established, uniquely positioned because of having relationships with both parties here. You know, but you could have seen some type of thing, you know, in terms of the, the negotiated settlement, again, giving some face saving to the uh, to the Argentine junta is the idea of, yes, you have to surrender the territory. But we will have an international tribunal or something that talks about whether, you know, what your claim is towards this or something like that, which was which was a which was already baked in my mind, but still would just give the appearance of, OK, you're going to have a hearing, you know, somewhere in, in the global community be heard out. I, I think as part of the diplomatic solution, the the Argentine junta couldn't say we are going to accept American support to, you know, oppress our own people anymore. Uh, I think either a hearing or both sides agreeing to a binding plebiscite by island residents. Britain has no problem with that because Britain knows they're going to win that, but it gives the junta enough of a fig leaf. And nobody was going to advocate, um, uh, Sheep suffrage? Yeah, exactly. That's where, that's where I was going. I was trying to figure out what term to use. That, by, by the way, Chris, you may have just named the episode. I've been playing here. I've got the molasses oh, thing that I was going with, but sheep suffrage may have just leaped to the top. Because the, um, the, the Falkland Islanders, they were rock solid. We're, we're English. We want to be English. That That is the, the one flame in the ointment of any... If Argentina doesn't lose my bet is they deport or willing deportation happens for 90 percent plus of the Falkland Islanders yeah the thing that I was kicking around in my head and even thinking you know is there possibly this you know something along the lines of you know, other contested islands, Cyprus was suddenly in my head, you know, that type of thing. This is just not worthy enough for the UN to go and occupy it or some way, or even allow a third party to occupy while it gets resolved. It gets resolved the way it gets resolved. You know, it, it, it doesn't make sense otherwise. It actually gets resolved. Cyprus still isn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the day, this relatively insignificant military clash, as we've already started to establish, has some pretty significant, has large significance both internally for Argentine politics, for UK politics, sort of the global political scheme as well. So if you alter that in some way, I don't think we've altered the history here. I still think you end up in almost every instance with Thatcher getting something out of this that enables, you know, the 83 election, which sort of, you know, cements that. It probably was inevitable that uh, this group of leaders in Argentina, they were on their last legs, which is why they do it. It was just inevitable. Although Chris did find a way maybe to give them a little bit of time moving forward. Thatcher still gets her win. They they get something there. But it's significant. But is this, I guess my question is back to both of you guys, and now that we've explored these things, do any of these alternatives, are they earth-shattering enough that they have implications outside of the parties that are involved? I think if we go with the initial scenario where Argentina is actually able to successfully occupy the islands and Britain does not have a military retaliatory capacity, I absolutely think this has pretty, this has further reaching 
ripples for their internal politics. Because there she doesn't have a bump. There, even though this was probably slated to happen under the labor governments of the 1970s, it happened on her watch. Right. She didn't stop it. And I think that's a that's a serious and long reaching effect of this. Well, you you, you lose the trombite of the president, the pope, and the prime minister mm-hmm. that took on the Soviet Union. And if you lose one of those three legs, does the Cold War end in exactly the same way? Because you really needed the three of them working in concert with each other. I don't know what I I am I am not sure that I agree. I'm not sure Thatcher was a very important ally of Reagan. I don't think that her absence if you're talking to the president or the Pope, I'll 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 hear you out. I, I am not sure that any British Prime Minister I, I I just don't see that she really put her thumb on the scale there. She followed she supported Reagan. She, she supported and Reagan followed. She was the key to getting Europe more on board, was staying the course. Okay. Because That's allowing because, the IMFs yeah, and such. Yeah. Because okay. because at the time you had a massive demilitarization, denuclearization movement inside Europe. Mm-hmm. She helped tamp that down. From, from another perspective, if it's been made perfectly clear that Great Britain's own domestic military cannot provide security, yep. are they more receptive to American security guarantees? I think it depends at that point as to because who Because those wins. would have definitely been yeah. coming from Reagan. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and the other thing there, you know, it's almost easy for me to forget that too. Just how widespread um, the anti-nuclear movements were in Europe during that period of time, and they are widespread. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were serious discussions if Labour had prevailed about, you know, about the UK deciding they no longer were going to be a nuclear power. That was that was that was actually on mm-hmm. the table, or the idea of becoming even more integrated with the EU in such a way that maybe you don't even reach the point where you even have the option of Brexit because they would have been so much more integrated in the process that to exit later, any point later would have been much more difficult than it, than it was in, in the recent years. But the first solidarity strikes happen about this time. I believe 83 Poland goes into martial law. The Soviets are already in Afghanistan Reagan is already talking about Star Wars. I think we can lose the nuclear issue in Europe and the internal divisions and the pressure put on the Soviet Union is still enough. Agreed. I agree. I think it's possible and it's, it, 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 it might happen that you never have a Brexit because remember, Thatcher, as I, under, as I remember, is the one that brought the United Kingdom into the EU in the first place. So that either they become much more integrated under a labor government or they never even the Tories never even make the deal to get the UK in the EU in the first place. But 
the underlying factors of the Cold War, enough of them have already been put in play, I would argue. You know, the Helsinki conference and the basket of human rights has already happened. Yeah, it, all, yeah. all of this stuff is moving. Yeah, in fact, in fact, I misspoke there because I think Labor's push in the early '80s was to withdraw or pull back mm-hmm. from the EU involvement versus yeah. Thatcher, who was pushing forward. And, and it does make it the we see that now, even because of Brexit. You know, what is you know, it's still a large enough part of the economy and and other political considerations and military defense considerations that you know where you know. <laughs> It's not the continent proper. It's across that little channel, but you know where where the United Kingdom sits relative to the rest of the West, you know, the Western democracies that comprise the comprise the continent. It does matter. Yeah, that that is an important factor economically and in other for other reasons as well. I think one of the other issues, if you're going to play with the EU membership, is what's the border between the Republic and the six counties? That's a good point. That was the the Good Friday Accord was able to be negotiated because Great Britain was an EU member. Right. And between demographic yeah. changes and Brexit, we're not far off from that getting restarted today. Yeah. That that has that went away for a long period of time, but the reset to go back, you know, it, it, you've rolled the software there back to a to a different version so to speak because of what you've done the upgrades and the changes you made have been undone you're going back to where it, where it existed before and you've got a catholic majority in the six counties which yeah. which, which which changes the demographics the, 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 the of demographics and the demographics the demographics should if you believe in self-determination mm-hmm. the demographics should change the uh the representation right that's an island that the british are not comfortable having a referendum on <laughs> and that ha- by the by the way that has also has zero to do with sheep suffrage while we're at right. <laughs> no there's there's no shetland independence yet we're, we're right. just talking yeah yep yep so again I, I think it's now officially decided and those of you those of our <laughs> listeners who who got it out to the end here now know why this episode when you first saw it is entitled sheep suffrage and we're talking about yeah. uh we're talking about you know all the things that are here any big stuff that we missed guys as we wrap it down no i, I think we've got it I, I think it's it's england's it's england's nice neat little war at the end of the day you know did lose 255 british sailors and soldiers Three Falkland Islanders lost their lives. Roughly 560 Argentine military personnel. But all in all, in the grand scheme of military engagements. It's, it, there's no such thing as a minor loss of life for anything, right? Right. In terms, in terms of being a, a, a military engagement, on the relative scale of things, this is minor. Yes. I mean... So how many um, British soldiers lost their lives again? 255. That is basically what is about to happen in Beirut. Right. That was the number that went into my head. <laughs> Almost the yeah. exact same amount. Yeah. In, yeah. In, in September 1983, which is ironically the week before we invaded Grenada. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, exactly. And the decision there by the United States to, after that happened, to no longer have a presence there. You know, the decision was, you know, phase it out. It's not worth it. You know, being there wasn't doing anything except, you know, folks sitting there as a target. So why are we doing that? 
And uh, I think after, you know, the other thing I remember, I don't remember all the details of it, but I think there were stronger uh, British security concerns on the, on the Falklands once they were retaken. You know, there, there was, there was a little bit more there. It was not going to, they were not going to repeat that easily uh, if somebody got the idea to do it. They have a squadron and 200 Royal Marines now. Well, there you go. <laughs> that, that, that doubled the military presence, did it at least. And, and we haven't even talked about arming the sheep, which is another form of sheep suffrage before it's all said and done. All right. Uh, Robert, thanks for suggesting this. Chris and Robert, thanks to both of you for joining. This this was a fun one. Uh, I, I enjoyed doing You know, one of the things that we do a lot here, maybe we shouldn't do this. We, we probably have a much better podcast at times if we prepared a little bit more. But one of the things I love is that we often just jump in, you know, as not unprepared because we have our research and we do the stuff that's there, but we don't script where we're going to go. So we sort of unravel it as we go. And this one... A little bit about what we talked about before we started recording turned out, but we discovered some new things along the way, which is what I like. What we do want to ask our listeners to do is feedback. If you liked this, tell us what you liked. If you didn't like this, tell us what you didn't like. The best way I know to do that, where we tend to be interacting most, you can certainly go to the website, www.aforkintimepodcast.com. There's all kinds of ways to give us feedback there, uh, suggestions for episodes, all those things. But more and more, the extent to which that we are actively interacting with our listener bases on our discord server and because that's a place for us to do that in real time and to have conversations back and forth that aren't don reads your email and maybe some point three weeks later in a recording he references it and then you hear it and you respond that's not a very that's a very that's a lot like the molasses floating across the table that i mentioned here earlier in this war in terms of way of communicating discords in real time so you haven't checked that out come and join us there uh, you can also post episode suggestions there. The episode we did not record tonight that we talked about, which would have, have cut something to the front of the line because we have a lot of other episode suggestions, but this one was hot because it was there in the Discord. It was a new listener, posted an idea, one that we're probably going to do here. We're going to reach out and invite that listener to to maybe join us for that episode. So again, I, I encourage you to check out the Discord. You see the link in the show notes uh, at the website. You'll see that there as well. And, uh, you know, certainly if you enjoy the show and you want to and can support us in some way financially to help offset the costs, uh, we have Patreon there. We have other things, other ways of doing that. Uh, there's merch. I actually had someone today who saw me drinking out of my fork in time steel tumbler, drinking my coffee today. And the person asked, how many of those do you have around your house? Well, I don't, but I can point you to where our store is online if you want to go and order one. And so probably one of those got sold today. I haven't seen the email that says that, but I guess that's the case. As we close out here, Chris, you have anything for our listeners? No. Robert? Nope. If Dr. Eric Rush were here, um, he would remind me I need to I need to hype the fact that we're coming up on our live stream for episode 200. <laughs> That's putting us probably in the time frame of late March, early April is about when that would be. And what you will see, this thing's going to post pretty quickly from when it's recorded, so it won't be there. But over the next couple of weeks after you've heard this episode, you'll find a page on the website that actually throws out the concept there. Because the idea is... We're going to do an episode live on the live stream, and we're not going to know what it is exactly until it gets selected by our listeners at the time of the live stream. It'll probably be from a list of things there, so we won't be going in totally cold, but you're going to see sort of what we do often, which is, okay, we got a couple of topics out here. Which one are we doing? today or tonight and then we jump into it you're going to see that in real time including on the live stream the conversation that we have before we record and then what will actually get put out 
on the on the feed and on on the YouTube page are two versions of our live stream. You're going to hear the full live stream with the prep time and some of the banter and stuff that happens, you know, all, what we call off podcast all the time. And then we'll actually publish the episode classic off of that so you can sort of see, you know, what goes on behind the curtain. I appreciate you guys. We appreciate our listeners. Uh, we do this because we enjoy doing it. We talk to each other about history, even if you weren't there, but it's nicer to know that some people are listening. And one of the cool things I know we have members of the team that will hear this episode. They're going to have their thoughts that we haven't even heard. Eric Rush wanted to be here tonight and for no other, <laughs> if for no other reason than he thought he could kill a British prince. But, uh, but uh, you know, there we go. All right. I'm now actually going to sign off, sign off. And just to just to our listeners, our concept is if you happen upon a fork in time, our strong suggestion is to take it. See you next time, guys. Thanks for listening to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Learn more and provide feedback by visiting our website at www.aforkintimepodcast.com. Connect to us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash a fork in time or follow us on Twitter at A-F-I-T podcast. If you want to support the show financially, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash a fork in time. We hope you will join us next time. <laughs>